welcome to Between the Shelves, the premier Seva Library podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and this week I'm joined by my co-hosts, Carrie and Meg. Hey. Hi. Thanks for coming. You're welcome. Thanks you for having us. You are the first children's librarians we've had on the podcast, so thank you so much. It's nice to get somebody from down in the depths of the library to come up. <laughs> Very far away. <laughs> below the ramp. Between the shelves, below the ramp. It's true. It works. Yeah. Well, it's it's day, days can go by before I see another children's librarian, so it's it's nice to uh, for as an excuse to get everyone together. The first the, small the building, it feels really big sometimes, but yeah, this is exciting. I'm happy to be included. Yeah, yeah I'm psyched. It's a very vertical building. Yeah. Yes. So I'm adult is up top top floor. We're like overlooking everything from up on our uh, our perch, and uh, we're recording the podcast in the. The basement, basically, so... Yes, in the absolute lowest yeah. level of the building. We're in the caves, deep, deep beneath the uh, the library where the, uh, what is it, the thermal heating unit is located. <laughs> well, this is a lot of very specific information. Uh, it's funny, though, because we're in such a tall building now, and I worked in the old Sable Library, which... Meg was a kid in the old Sable Library. I was a patron at the old Sable Library. <laughs> um, and it was so small that you could actually see the staff at the adult reference desk from children's and, like, hear them. If I had to call over, say, to Peter to ask him a question, I could hear Peter on the phone, but then I could also, like, hear Peter echoing just yeah. ambient noise across um, Saturdays. We would just kind of, like, watch each other's desk, like, to cover lunches. Like, if somebody comes over, just, like, run over and be like, hey, can I help you? Yeah. It's very different. That is nice. Yeah. It's, there's some comfort to that, being able to, like, see your coworkers from anywhere. Yeah. ConnectQuat Library is a little bit like that. Not, I know this is the Save a Library podcast, but um, ConnectQuat Library is, like, a warehouse. It's, like, a huge open space. It's all mm-hmm. one floor, but it's just this giant warehouse, basically. And you can see the children's department, like, 150 yards away from the adult department. So it's kind of odd. Different layout. This is cozier. Full disclosure, I've actually never been to the Connecticut Library, and I've worked in the district next door to it for 15 years. Um, and I've been to lots of other Long Island libraries, but for some reason I've just never made it up across the highway, so now I will have to add it to my list of things to do. Field trip. So we like to start off the episode by... Um, better getting to know the librarians and staff at Sayville by just talking about what we're into right now. Full disclosure, the last episode we recorded three days ago. So if you listen to episode three, um, not much has changed in my life in the last three days. I'm still playing Elden Ring. I'm still reading The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. So I'm very into fantasy right now. But I did finish a book. Um, I finished the world record book of racist stories which was recommended to me by Melissa and Teen. It's the sequel to, um, oh, I'm forgetting the name of it. She is the writer from Seth Meyers. She works for Seth Meyers. Amber Ruffin. Um, Very good, very good book. It's very funny. um, But, you know, the subject matter is obviously not not funny at all, but she's a very funny person and she uh, brings light to a very dark topic. But I definitely recommend it. It's a short book too. So if you want... um, you know, something to squeeze in between uh, some big literary heavyweights or something. This is a great one. And it's fun on audiobook, too. I love an audiobook. Yeah. Like, it's really, that's 98% of how I read. Just yeah. because, like, in the car, I put on a book. I love that. So it I doesn't even just feel like an audio, like a book, either, because it's, it's narrated by uh, Amber Ruffin and her sister Lacey. So it's nice. It's just like a conversation. It's listening to a conversation. It's kind of like a podcast. That's how, when I 
exclusively will listen to nonfiction books uh, as audiobooks. And I tell people, like, oh, I listen to them and I feel like I'm listening to a podcast instead of listening to other podcasts, other than the Save a Library yeah. Between the Shelves podcast, which I do listen to. Thank you. <laughs> it's funny you should say that. I honest, I don't listen to many fiction audiobooks, like, at all. I don't know what it is. I just get, I space out and I just can't, mm-hmm. like, get back into it. Whereas if I'm listening to nonfiction, it's like, I don't know, it's a lecture or something, or I feel like if, even if I dip out for like a second mentally, when I come back, I'm like, okay, we're still talking about the Civil War. Like, I know we're back where we are. jump back in, yeah. in a different way. Than Whereas like fiction, like... it's like, wait a minute, what just happened? Yeah. Like... <laughs> I missed a really important piece of dialogue and I can't make it up now. See, I find that I listen to audiobooks just because it, it it's pretty much the only way I read anymore because I just can't sit down and read a book, but I can multitask and listen to a book while I cook. Or, gosh, while, like, brushing my teeth or doing whatever tasks or while I'm driving to work. Um, so if it wasn't for audiobooks, I probably wouldn't get to read anything. I also like when there's, like, a book that has accents because then it, I don't know, it does the voices better in my head than I would have done them. Um, hmm. But I also like autobiographies on audio, but only if the autobiography is voiced by the person the book is about. And you'd yeah. think that seems obvious, but... I think it was like the Tim Tebow biography was not narrated by him. And it just felt really weird having some person I knew wasn't him saying I all the time. And so I just kind of like shut it off and just was like, whatever, I'll just read it as a regular yeah, that's book. that's very odd. It is. Um, it was just, yeah, it was weird vibes. Uh, but for whatever reason, I really enjoyed both of Rob Lowe's autobiographies on audio but mostly because i think i find his voice delightful Mm -hmm. uh full disclosure i'm a huge west wing fan um fan might be like just underselling it i've i own (laughs) all of the dvds i've seen the show a bajillion times i've re-binged it over the holiday break yeah so i find those that was really fun but yeah just in general that's my aesthetic autobiographies on audiobook but i will also do fiction not so much nonfiction. i'm it's my blind spot for reading Unless I have to read it. I think the last nonfiction book I read was for a conference. It was oh. a bit of a slog. It was about the Romanovs. Oh, yeah. Oh. That was I remember big... when you read that. Yes. <laughs> it was a teen book, uh, and I'm going to completely forget who the author is. It was one of those books that I would absolutely not have read it if not for having to read it for the conference. And I basically had a general idea of what the Romanovs had done. Um but the fact that I got to the end of the book and I was like, somehow this book may be rude for communism. And that feels like not a good thing. <laughs> um, but like, I'm like, you people were so, so bad. Um, but yeah, no, I was rooting for the communists by the end of it. It was not okay. interesting Okay, we're best. learning a lot about <laughs> yes. people oh, on this podcast. It was called um, The Family Romanov, Murder, Rebellion, and the Fall of Imperial Russia by Candace Fleming. The teen department here at Save the Library absolutely does own it, so you can come check it out for yourself or find it on Libby. (laughs) Was that a recommendation, though? It was an interesting topic. Carrie recommends Karl Marx (laughs) and the Romanovs. Yes, if you need to know more about about the history of the Bolshevik Revolution, Save the Library for all your your communist revolutionary needs. I'm I'm going to put the disclaimer on it that I'm in no way uh, endorsing communism <laughs> as a as an ideology. I'm just saying that in the case of the Roman opposite plus over communism, I don't know. There's a case to be made for <laughs> I don't know both sides. I don't know. Okay, I'm in the weeds. We're a both sidesism podcast for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I will say though, you mentioned like audio. Uh, 
autobiographies or memoirs mm-hmm. in audiobook form. A couple of them, especially if they're comedians, like are so good. Like yeah. Tina Fey's is it's a huge one. That's so funny. Yes. Stands out. Bossy pants. Um, bossy pants. And um, Colin Jost's book I is so good too. His. Yeah. And I feel like that one actually got mixed reviews. And I read it because I like him. Well, I listened to it because I like him. But it was so funny. And I was telling people who, even if they don't really care about SNL, even if they don't really know who he is, I feel like just his style of presenting everything in that book was so good. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. – uh, I thought it was I, – I kind of went into it thinking like, all right, this is just a cash grab, whatever. Like he's just following like the Tina Fey thing. And, yeah. But it was really, really funny. Like I, I really – I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And he reads it very well. Like, he's very self-deprecating, and well, it's great. He does have a very punchable face. Yes, he like does. the title really says it all, and he leaned into it. <laughs> I really enjoyed Anna Kendrick's uh, Scrappy Little Nobody, as far as audiobooks, memoirs uh, that they voiced. It, this was probably right after she hit it big with Pitch Perfect, um, and she had, like, a, a good run of, of popular movies. Um, but I really thought that that one was fun. Just she's really funny. She's a great follow on Twitter, and she makes me laugh. Like it was laugh out loud in my car, funny. Okay, another great recommendation. Yeah. In that same vein, just with comedians, Marianne, who will have been on the previous episode, mm-hmm. uh, two episodes ago. Oh, two episodes ago. Sorry. Yeah, we're pumping these out. Wow, this is amazing. <laughs> I think I'd had a conversation with her about Colin Jost's book, and she was like, "Well, have you read Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally's book?" And they're married, and they wrote this memoir together about their relationship, and then they co-narrated the audiobook. And it was like sitting in their living room, just having them exist around you. It was very interesting. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I listened to Nick Offerman's Paddle Your Own Canoe, One Man's Fundamentals for Delicious Living, on uh, Libby. And again, great voice. So, And everything he says is just funny. He's, he's one of those people that just, I think, has a way of delivering words that he can make something innocuous funny. But I cracked up listening to it. I'm pretty sure I listened to it before I even met my husband. But he very much is like beards and bacon and like meat. Very much like all the things that Nick Offerman's character on Parks and Rec was mm-hmm. into. So... He's a man's man. Yes. No, so like I sold my husband on listening to this book on Libby based on like it's about manliness and beards and meat. And that's how I got him to listen to it. He was like, this might be the first book I've read and I couldn't even tell you how long. So that's that was the selling point, at least at least for my husband. That's great. But maybe for other people too. Look, I don't have anything against books that bring more people into the library and make readers. Like we talked about Colin Hoover, uh, Colleen Hoover for about – 20 minutes in the last episode Interesting. and i'm not i haven't read anything by here it's not really my type of book or genre that i'm really interested in but i mean it's the most popular book in the country it's bringing people into the library it's getting people to read who otherwise probably would not be reading at all so i'm all for it a thousand percent and i know that the reason she's blown up so much right now is a hundred percent because of book talk mm-hmm. which is like the bookish world on tiktok um and it's been so interesting as a library person, but also as a person who spends too much time on TikTok for someone who is too old to be doing that. Like I'm in my late 20s, but I spend too much time on TikTok. Um, But it's just so interesting. And I uh, spent a lot of time during lockdown at the beginning of COVID in 2020 on TikTok. And I found the bookish side just because of my interests. Obviously, working here leans into that. And there have been so many books 
that I've just seen a crazy resurgence of. And I was like there, I feel like at the beginning of it, like not to be like a book talk hipster, but like I was there at the start and um, a passive observer and series that I saw start to blow up then amongst the people who were there. I'm now seeing uh, patrons coming in and looking for. So Colleen Hoover is huge. Um, but there's been a lot of YA series. And I know before you mentioned, Alex, that you're really into fantasy. Mm-hmm. And like YA fantasy has exploded. And I think in large part just because in publishing, like it's a really hot genre right now. Um, but series that have been out for years are having a resurgence because people are having discourse around them on Book Talk. And so Sarah J. Mass's A Court of Thorns and Roses was a series that um, we owned the second book. It was a trilogy at the time. We owned the second book in our teen department. Mm -hmm. And like maybe somebody had just ordered that one. That was all we had. And I read it in, I think, April of 2020 when we were still closed. And by the time we reopened in June, we'd had to order the whole series because they were already going out like crazy. And at one point there was a mini staff book club happening where a lot of people in Cirque uh, read it. I had already read it. Tim, our assistant director, read it. Um, and it's very much like a uh, fantasy romance YA book. And so it was very interesting to see people on like our side of the desk talking about it, but also patrons not being able to get their hands on it fast enough. Yeah. And since then, two other books have come out in the series. And like from there, all these other series have been popping up and kids will come into the teen room yeah, asking for them. It's fascinating. Yeah. The, the book talk thing is fascinating you know it, and it's it's funny to see like the ripple effect like it'll blow up on tiktok and then a couple of months down the road then it like hits the library right it hits the library or even like that series has been around for a while and i opened instagram this morning and a girl i know who lives in california who's like a girl she's like 35 it just like hit her and she's like i love this series i wonder where you found it <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm not, I'm not really surprised to hear that the fantasy novels are kind of blowing up because I feel like fantasy's always been the books that will hook readers into becoming readers. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, me growing books. up, they're gateway, yeah. <laughs> like, I read The Hobbit. That was probably the first book I ever, like, finished and enjoyed and, and sought out myself, I mean. And that hooked me on reading. And then I went off from there. I read like the Dragonlance series and Lord of the Rings and all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't know if it's – I think it's just because it's so, for lack of a better term, like fantastical that it's – you don't feel like you're reading. You're like kind of going into your own universe and it's not like, I don't know, dry or anything. Exactly. It's- I feel like it's something that – when I'm not here, I also work in schools and I was a teacher for several years and now I'm a school librarian. But something that – you're always teaching kids when you're teaching them to read is visualization. And I feel like so much of what they read, they're not really visualizing it because a lot of texts that they're reading when they're learning to read can maybe be something that they're not super interested in or it's boring or it's almost too realistic that it's just, okay, I can imagine this because this character in the book is eating breakfast and I also ate breakfast today. But like it's not capturing them in the way that something fantastical with the dragons or the witches or it's a real adventure that they could immerse themselves in would do. I think it's also because the, I mean, the really good fantasy authors put so much effort into imagery. Like, you can tell from the size of a book that fantasy authors don't care about page count. Like, they (laughs) will spend pages describing worlds. Like, you're talking about The Hobbit, like, the descriptors of Middle Earth. Like, I feel like Peter Jackson was able to recreate Middle Earth when he did The Lord of the Rings because Tolkien had given him 
all of this rich source material to work with. And like that's the sign of a great author that you can picture it. But then to I think that's why those movies are so beloved is because then people's image in their head, there's nothing worse than when you love a book and then what happens on screen is not the world that you've imagined. And so I think that because so much of what was in the books was translated onto screen, it was a really um, like an accurate representation of what it looked like. And so I think that fantasy lends itself to imagination more. And I think that that's really great because it does, it really does suck the kids in also because the aspect of like trilogies or series, it's the reason that people got sucked into Star Wars um, or even like Star Trek or any of those sort of like sci-fi fantasy things is because it leaves you with like a bit of a cliffhanger and like there's more to come and it kind of pulls you in. Yeah. Um, I think that's why in children's especially, it's so much easier to sell a series to kids or to their parents who come looking for a book. Um, Because a lot of our time is spent selling it to the parents who then have to sell it to their kids. Um, But when we're like, it's great. And if you like this book, there's like five more you can read. Um, And we hope that that will keep them coming in. And then eventually we can get them onto something else. Um, But yeah, I definitely think that fantasy has a way of doing it. And YA fantasy, I mean, Meg has her own teen feelings (laughs) about Twilight. Um, oh, no. No, full disclosure, I was a brand new librarian in the old Sable Library when Meg was a teen reading Twilight as it was coming out. Um, so, like, my experience with Twilight as a series and Meg's experience are different because I read it as a grown-up and Meg read it as a teen it was written for. And over the years of us then becoming colleagues, we've had many, many discussions on, on Twilight and then on other fantasy fiction things. But it's mm-hmm. just funny to, like... That seems to be the start of it for whatever your feelings are about the Twilight series. That kind of kicked off, I feel like, the, I don't know, we're past something having a moment. It's really having a time, I would say. YA fantasy fiction is having itself a time. Um, But I think Twilight really was kind of the start of it. And then Hunger Games. And then once they started making the movies, it really, like, brought it out. I would also say before that, Harry Potter. And I know that that's such a... An interesting series to talk about right now because there's a lot going on with how beloved the story is and how people have feelings about the author. But Harry Potter was one of those series that so many different people from very many different walks of life were able to make a connection to. And um, like Harry Potter did it, and a few years later, Twilight did it in a very different way. And um, I have very strong feelings about Twilight as someone who was uh, in middle school in 2008 um, and was the target demographic for those books and uh, really leaned into that. Um, (laughs) uh, I loved them and they were very special to me, even though now it's deeply embarrassing. But um, something that those books did, like I was the target demographic and in braving the internet in 2008 to see the discourse about Twilight... um, it was very interesting to see that in a lot of ways that was the first time that like a lot of older women were getting into fandom and the it's like Twi funny moms. to laugh at now but like the Twi moms really like things are having a moment the Twi moms had a time but like in a way that I don't feel that women of that age had been able to before so it's like fantasy also has a very strong fan following I don't in a fail I feel like in a way that I've seen that's very different from other genres or just books in general. Yeah, do you think that's more the fact that it is a series and then that kind of, you know, you like Carrie was saying, like you get hooked in one, you go to the next one, and before you know it, you've read three and you're like immersed in this world 
and then just that alone kind of creates a community around it. Is that, do you think that, I mean, Lord of the Rings probably did it even, well, they're one of the earliest series I can think of that might have done that, and then that, off of that spawns Dungeons and Dragons and everything else, basically. So do you you think it's like the series that does that, or do you think that it's just like the fact the sheer popularity of it just snowballs? I think the fact that the series just has, like, canon content that keeps going Mm -hmm. is definitely something that fuels the flames. But, like, I don't know what really, if I'm going with the fire analogy, like, what ignites it? Um, like, is it just the concepts and the fact that it's so different from real life that it's just something that more people feel drawn to? It's funny because using Twilight as our very specific (laughs) example here, it's, I think that the romance aspect of it did have a lot to do with For Twilight, absolutely. For for that specifically about, like, what hooked, like, that older age group. Um, and I don't know if it was... Which, thinking back on it now is a little bit frightening, but... Yes, obviously, but I don't know if it was that maybe it was moms who had teens that were reading it who kind of decided to read it because their teens were reading it and then got into it, but it absolutely was sort of like one of those word of mouth, pass it on to your friends kinds of Mm -hmm. books. Like Mm -hmm. when we would have moms here that were talking about it, it was kind of like I told my friend they should read it. I mean, it's the same thing now with Colleen Hoover. Like when something gets word of mouth buzz, it spreads. It's the unfortunate nature of the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. Which was based on Twilight, which is yes. also right. crazy. Yes. I, I, I apologize. I haven't read uh, Twilight, don't. so I can't. Okay, I was going to say, don't apologize for not having read no, Fifty Shades. That's fine. But like, no. Because we're not judging. Yeah. But just with the fanaticism of it all, yeah. like that was another series, the Fifty Shades trilogy, that to- like had a moment and exploded and that type of book didn't doesn't normally hit like people happily reading this book out in public and that started as twilight fan yeah. fiction I, I think it should be noted that these books are not the densest literature out there it's it can be read by a 15 year old and a 90 year old you know very easily it's not you know, difficult. It's not a difficult read, They're and I think that has a lot accessible. to do. Yes. Harry Potter is the same way. Yeah, you know, it's a very readable book. You're not going to be challenged in any way reading no. it. Well, and full disclosure, I didn't read the Harry Potter books until um right after it was my New Year's resolution going into 2017. So I had been a librarian for a significant amount of time. Um, in my possibly undefensible defense, when the first Harry Potter book came out, I was. Uh, senior, I think, in high school, junior, senior, I was a page at the Middle Country Library, shout out Middle Country, um, and I was shelving the first book, and I was like, why do we own, like, seven or eight copies of this book? Because back then, I just didn't understand that, like, that's how holds work. And so I was very much aware of Harry Potter as a concept, but I was writing college essays, and then I went to college, and I wasn't reading for pleasure. That's sort of where my pleasure reading had stopped by that point. And then my sophomore year of college, like that Thanksgiving break, the first movie was coming out and my parents wanted to go see it as like a family activity while I was home. And so I saw the movie and then it, because they seemed to for a while be coming out on Thanksgiving breaks, it kind of became a thing I did with my family where I was seeing the movies and then I never got around to the books. My parents read the books. Um, But so yeah, going to 2017, I was like, I'm finally going to read Harry Potter. And I knew I wasn't going to sit down and read it, so I actually ended up doing all of them on Libby. I will get out here right now and say that Jim Dale is maybe the best audiobook narrator ever. That man could read me the weather or a newspaper, and I would listen to it. Um, So his voice is a delight. And so 
he hooked me on that series, like, and pulled me in. Even though I had seen the movies, it was different. And the books had so much more detail and stuff that had been cut out. So my love for Harry Potter, like, really came years after I had been giving those books to people. So it's never too late if you're the person who hasn't read, like, the hot, cool thing or whatever. You know, you can get into it now. It's fine. And you can listen to it on audio because they're great. (laughs) I will say Morgan, actually, in the last episode, she mentioned that she's also listening to Harry Potter um, and Libby in the audiobook version. And she mentioned how good the the narrator was. And sometimes that's what can hook you, you know, if it it just works. I've read, uh, I've tried to read books and they didn't work. And then the audiobook version will work or vice versa. No, you can get a bad audio a narrator yes. too, and, and just it yes, will ruin a book. But a good narrator will make a giant difference. Yeah. It could be the worst book ever. And there are like what Carrie said about Jim Dale being able to read. Did you see the weather report? I said the weather or the news or the news. I have like because like I said before, I listen to a lot of audio, and there's a narrator, Julia Whalen, who uh, reads a lot of very different books. Um, most recently, I think she's probably pretty well known for reading all of or narrating all of Emily Henry's latest books. Mm -hmm. So like Beach Read, People We Meet on Vacation, Book Lovers. But I've been listening to her for years, and there's just something about her voice. And Jim Dale is excellent at doing all the characters. And in Harry Potter, there's a lot of characters. Um, And she generally reads um, just more contemporary fiction. But just her voices are so amazing. And I would listen to this woman read her grocery list. Like, she's so great. Yeah, it becomes an audio play. It, right. And it's mm-hmm. so fun. And she was an actress. And so it's interesting. Like, I follow her on Instagram to, like, see her talk about that. And it's so fun. And it makes the reading experience more enjoyable. So, like, I'll listen to something by her. And if I know that she works with an author, I'll be more likely to read them, even if I'm just, like, physically reading a paperback. Because I now trust this woman's judgment. <laughs> so... In uh, in keeping in fashion with this podcast, we have gone on a quite a long rant on audiobooks. When we started with, <laughs> what are you into right now? Uh, Meg, we didn't even start, get to you yet. Uh, do you want to go over it or do you want to just go right into your favorite books of 2022? I mean, well, I did just talk about Julia Whalen and uh, she actually wrote a book. Um, I'm trying not to laugh right now, about audiobooks this year. <laughs> um, it's called Thank You for Listening. And it was really interesting because the protagonist is an audiobook narrator. And so Julia Whalen, as an author, is obviously writing very much about something she knows. Um, and it was a very interesting story. So that was something I really enjoyed this year. And of course, she also narrated it, which I was not mad about. But on my list, I really did have audiobooks written down. <laughs> so oh, I'm glad that the okay, uh, episode kind of kind leaned of into in. that. Yeah, yeah, it was perfect. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll hear uh, Meg's top books of 2022. Perfect. Okay, we're back. Uh, I know we went on a quite the tangent there, uh, talking about every audiobook we can pretty much cover under the sun. <laughs> right. But um, what are some other books that uh, you are into this year? Um, so like I said, thank you for listening by Julia Whalen was great. I really loved it. I, um, just to talk about audiobooks again, very briefly, I listen to audiobooks on, um, what my friends have described as an insane speed. So my like baseline is usually 2.3 times fast. Um, that's unhinged for those of you who don't understand how audiobook speed works. That's unhinged. It is. Um, I will say to make it sound crazier that I do occasionally listen up to three times speed, um, which does sound crazy, but like if I'm already listening that fast, I feel like in a weird way it makes me focus on it more so I can do other things, but I have to work harder to listen. Um, 
I should note that I'm getting very crazy looks right now as I'm saying this out loud. And they are, are well-deserved. Like I understand espresso that. while you listen to audiobooks? <sighs> no, maybe I should see how much faster I could listen. I listen to a lot of audiobooks and a lot of podcasts. And I have only done that once. And it was at one and a half speed. And it's because the narrator of the audiobook was 100,000 years old and mm-hmm. was speaking at this cadence about a very morbid topic. And I needed to get through it. <laughs> <laughs> I would have lost my mind. Um, but yeah, so I listen very fast. And so because of that, I, um, tend to read a lot. So I read over a hundred books last year. Um, but I'm like scrolling through the ones I gave five stars and I actually reread a couple of books this year. So I reread Tuck Everlasting by Natalie Babbitt, which I had read when I was a kid. Um, and at the school I worked at, the kids were reading it in class and I was like, oh my gosh, I loved that. And I went home and I listened to it really fast on audiobook in a couple of hours, and it was lovely to revisit a story that I enjoyed. So that's kind of also something I'm hoping to do this year is do a little bit more rereading to see if I still have the same thoughts now that I had on something when I read it originally, whether it be when I was a child or something I read when I was in college. Like scrolling, sorry. Um, I did mention Emily Henry before. Her book, Book Lovers, that came out um, this past spring was amazing. At this point, she's kind of on a roll. She wrote several YA books. I'm going to say around 2015, 2016, 2017, that I read having worked here. I was covering in teen and I read them then and I thought they were awesome. But in the last few years, she's had um, contemporary romance releases, like for general fiction written for adults yeah. that have come out. And they've just been like, hit, like she does not miss. And yeah, they've been classic. very, very popular. Yes. They've been flying off the shelves in adult. And uh, if you're looking for them, she has very distinct book covers the cartoon it's covers cartoon covers vibrant colors They're beautiful and after she had a couple of hits i think it might have been after her second mm-hmm. book so it was book lovers then what was the second well one? book lovers is the most recent one the first okay. one that like really kind of hit and started this new trend is beach read mm-hmm. and then people we meet on vacation beach read has the yellow cover I people loved, we meet on vacation is orange i love the people we meet on vacation i really like that one i read them both both but that one was my so good. She has a new one, Happy Place, coming out in uh, spring 2023. I'm very excited. Um. <laughs> My wife's read them all. I haven't read any. My wife's read them all, so I'm sure she already has it wishlisted. It's so good. Um, so I loved that. And book lovers, I mean, especially this is a library podcast, and it's two book editors. And it's incredibly tropey. Like, it's she has even described it herself like it is all of the Hallmark movie tropes, mm-hmm. like, put together intentionally in one book, which when you – Think of that, like it sounds like it's going to be just sugary sweet and maybe a little bit painful to read. Like you know what you're getting into and it's just fantastic. Like it's emotional but and it has depth and all of it seems very surface level. It's great. She's fantastic. Can so, I talk about yes. that for one second? Please. Is this – so I, romance is not my genre. Is this like a new um, genre, like a subgenre that's starting like this like Hallmark Cartoon fiction? cover. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, especially that yeah. because um, you can literally identify these books by their cover now yeah. because after Emily Henry, like, all, I started seeing a bunch they're of... They're everywhere. The Hating Game all. by Sally Thorne. Yeah, there are all these yeah. cartoon covers, vibrant colors. But I mean, uh, when people think romance, or at least when I think romance, you think like Fabio, shirtless, yes. whatever. Like paperback, this is, Harlequin. Yeah, like right. mass market paperback. But this is mm-hmm. like a new thing that's going on. This is, um, I don't want to say, you know, more literary, but it's it's more accepted. It's not like... These swashbuckling, like, you know, swooning romance books. They're like contemporary. They're kind of like Hallmark movies, but in a book form. Sort of. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I'll agree with that. I mean, I think some more than others. I, again, I read a lot and I do. That is my genre other than like reading children's books 
for my job. Um, and, you know, the occasional fantasy like Twilight. But um, <laughs> um, that definitely does seem to be a trend. I would say maybe not so hallmarky because a lot of them are surprisingly, like, emotional. And yeah. not, like, in the – I don't think emotional is the right word. And I really hate saying that they have depth, too, because in its own way, every story does. Um, but Emily Henry in particular has a style that I think a lot of authors are making their own, where it is that hallmarky, sugary, sweet love story – but the characters are experiencing a tremendous amount of growth in a short amount of time. Yeah. It's hallmarky it's, on the surface, right? And then it really is this Any other book story that's, that's capturing someone. Pages long right. is going to have more depth than exactly. an hour-long hallmark movie. I don't know if this is a genre that's that's new, and, and publishers have just found a different way to market these books. I mean, if it's new, or if publishers have just found a different way to market them, that's because that's my question. It has to be a combination, but yeah. I think it very much is what I'm hoping will be the new trend in romance because I think it really does have a certain connotation because so many people just think of it as the fabio cover and instead it's like this wonderful story of you know growth and personal achievement and all this stuff and also they fall in love and it's nice and because it's romance like there's a guaranteed happily ever after which is lovely um it's funny how how this genre is blowing up at the same time like these colleen hoover books are blowing up which is like very dark family drama like and, but the thing is, I the think opposite. in some way they're also intertwined because people who love Beach Read also, in my experience, I've seen a lot of people love Colleen Hoover. And I personally haven't read any of her books, but like I've read other – like Emily Henry, for example, loves Colleen Hoover. And I know that the two authors are friends and they read each other's works and they give um, like blurbs for each other's books. So it's that whole community. It's like a new – the next generation of romance mm-hmm. novels. I say also Taylor Jenkins Reid yes. is in that same – Again, who is narrated by Julia Whalen. Folks, search out <laughs> Julia Whalen in the catalog and you should be able to find anything she uh, that she All of Meg's favorite books. Yes. Um, I think it's also just people – it might just be like what's going on in the world, what's going on in society. People want maybe something that doesn't feel as heavy, serious. I think it's the reason why people love Hallmark movies. I spent a lot of time in the last month and a half watching Hallmark Christmas movies because – like it's a Meg said, everything is guaranteed a happy ending, and it wraps up in two hours. And you're like, this is great. Um, but so I think people are looking for like something that's a bit lighter, but with like you said, with more depth. Um, not your typical like bodice ripping. Mm-hmm. Um, like what I would describe as like grocery store paperback novels. And I'm all for that. I will admit that I was totally in college. I would like buy those books from the grocery store, like. We would take, like, a trip to the grocery store once a week out of my dorm. And I would totally, like, buy myself, like, one or two because you could buy them for, I don't know, like, three bucks. Um, so even a broke college student who didn't have a public library card to the town I went to school in was reading. So, like, I read those pretty much exclusively for, like, four years in college. But, yeah, like, these are – I don't know. There's something more to them. There is a sweetness. But they're also, like, witty and they're pithy and they're funny and the dialogue is fantastic. The banter. Yes. Yes, it's like witty banter. It's I think sometimes it's like the conversations you wish you could have. Like I wish I could say something that smart. I wish I could be that snappy with a and comeback. It, it is so smart, which I don't think people would expect when they read it, where I'm like, wow. Like yeah. I wish I was intelligent enough to have a conversation like that and still have it be funny. Maybe like a Nora Ephron would be a better parallel than Hallmark. Yes. Yes. 
But people go into it expecting Hallmark, mm-hmm. which so it's important to kind of keep that in there. But yeah, yes. it's definitely more of a Nora Ephron. Yeah, it's more like if you could think of like what all the best rom-com writers. It's, right. Rom-coms are having a moment, but rom-com books. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> imagining my wife listening to this and just screaming at me like, I need to be on this podcast. <laughs> be like, these are my people. You found my people. Yeah, seriously. We could have a whole spinoff podcast just about this. Well, sorry, Alex. Uh, I believe that is it. Christina, I think, in the adult department is the person who runs the mute, cute romance book discussion. So if modern romance is your thing, take a look in our newsletter and see when she's running that. We'll do it. We'll do a whole episode on uh, on modern romance, and I'll just be here at the boards. I'll just be. (laughs) He'll just man the microphone. We can give you a required reading list. Sure, I'm 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 not above anything. All right, any other books that you uh, – um, I'm sure you got a list. You're scrolling here. I do. Flicking. I was scrolling a lot. I mean, I feel like I've talked about romance extensively. Um, I do also read fantasy that is not um, Twilight, and I feel like I need to make that very clear. I also read children's <laughs> books. So my next recommendation is going to be The Last Quintista um, by Donna Barba Higuera, and I believe it was um, a Newbery winner. Yes. And it came recommended to me from a, another school library friend, and I listened to it on audio while I was setting up my own library this year. And it was lovely. It was more science fiction than fantasy, but it was great. It was, Is this YA or? It's uh, children's, okay. actually. Um, and it's a girl, and I think she's like 12 or 13, so it's kind of like on the cusp of YA. But um, life as we know it on Earth is ending, and there's a plan for certain important people, scientists anyone who would be helpful to society on their next planet uh, to have, have they have access to these escape pods that are going to bring them to like a new planet on a distant star far away. And all the people are loaded on and this girl and her brother are like set up and they're supposed to go into like a sleep stasis situation. Um, And just as their pod, which is the last one, is about to leave, um, people who realize they're going to be left behind on Earth are riding and break in and there's a problem. And her, the main character's um, stasis pod is not set up correctly. So she's conscious for her whole long journey to this new world. And a lot of people don't remember and time has passed. And when she ends up where she's going, there's a new society taking hold and she needs to find her place in it. It was really interesting. The world building, like we talked about with fantasy, was really well done and it was cool. It was an interesting perspective on how we live. And it was through the eyes of a Hispanic child, which was like an also really different perspective. It was great. Wow. That's yeah. uh, surprisingly uh, great world building in depth for And it wasn't children's very book. long. I'm yeah. like, I have to double check the page count because it really like it was very in depth. It's 320 pages, which is a lot, but it's really not for what you really got out of this book. So, I mean, it did win the Newbery Medal this past year in 2022. Uh, and it deserved it. So <laughs> like, it was an excellent book. Check it out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we have a game prepared. Okay, we're back. And we're going to end this episode with a game. And this week's or this episode's game is Would You Rather? Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to go first? I don't mind going first. Sure. Go okay. For Would you rather... Read your favorite book again as if it was the first time, or discover that your favorite author has just written a new book. I'm going to say read my favorite book as if it was the first time, mostly because 
I don't necessarily know that. Wait, am I me now reading? Like, like is it? Am I my age now? You can interpret it any way you want. Okay. Does that change your answer? Like, if you no, go you back know what in it time is? to I'm read just, it when you. I'm no. I'm just thinking that my favorite book from childhood is Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls. Uh, it was a book that my fourth grade teacher read to every class he ever taught. Um, he would start on the first day of school and he would read to us for 20 minutes after recess because he understood the concept that kids really needed to like calm down from recess and it made no sense to try and teach them when they were mm-hmm. still all amped. So he would read. And so he would always start with this book and I was like sucked in from the first time. And so he, I don't know, it was the first time I realized that like you could like, books could make you feel stuff, but it's definitely not my style of book. It's more like boy and dogs and like the Ozarks in, I think the time of frame is like the 20s, but that's absolutely not my style of book now. And I feel like he was an older author and that might've been his style. And so I don't necessarily think I'd like a book that he would write now, like a new book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember how I felt the first time that I read Redfern and like the feeling I get in my chest thinking about it now, like I would love to be able to feel that all the time. Like that sort of like, like being lit with from within about a book. So I think I would definitely love to be able to feel that what I like reading my favorite first book all over. I think hearing Carrie's response made me change my mind because my gut reaction was to say that I would rather find out that my favorite author has a new book coming because I read a lot of books, so I would love to be able to have a book to look forward to. And I already mentioned that one of my favorite authors does have a new book coming out, Emily Henry. But when you were describing how Where the Red Fern Grows was something you wouldn't have picked up on your own, you probably wouldn't have enjoyed if you didn't read it that way. It reminded me in high school, my English teacher had us read Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut which I like history. I'll read some historical fiction. World War II is interesting. But like that book is weird. Like I would even say it's trippy. And I would not have gotten it in the same way if she didn't wholeheartedly love it. And she sold me on it and I was all in. And it was, it still is one of my favorite books. And some other books that I've read recently that I would consider among my favorites. Like it is a very special feeling you get when you realize like, oh, I'm going to love this for a long time. But it's cool when you think about why you love it because it's not just the story. It's the experience you had surrounding it. Right. So, yeah, I'm going to change my answer. Thanks, Carrie. You're welcome. So for you, it's Where the Red Fern grow, Goes, you would read that again or would you like it read to you again? Oh. oh. Follow-up, would you rather? <laughs> Honestly, I being read to is so underrated. Maybe that's why we're, we're such big audiobook stands because we I just want someone to read my right, story. I just want to read. <laughs> I think there's something about revisiting your childhood and that feeling of having someone read to you. There's something very comforting for somebody who spends the majority of her work time like reading to kids, like in story time. It's me being able to like see through their eyes, like what I'm interpreting off the page and being able to make them love it. Like I have the power. Maybe that's why I do this job because I once had somebody make me feel that, like make me love a book. And I wasn't even the one doing the reading. Like, they read it to me in a way that made me love it. So if I could, like, go back, like, if we're going to do, like, out of time and space, like, if I could have that teacher read to me again, I would totally do that. Yeah. We're having a Slaughterhouse 5 I was gonna say, we're going to say, Kurt would time. love yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot to say. It's conversational inception. Oh, my gosh. 
so this is gross. like a hard hitting interview podcast. I'm like killing I'm it emotional. right now. <laughs> Who thought that the children's librarians wouldn't be just like all bubbles and fun and sunshine? Like we'd come in with like the real deep stuff. Oh my gosh, it's like a cartoon cover romance novel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow, that was uh, those are great answers. Great full great circle moment. Do you us. get to answer this? Yes, question? I'm I don't know, curious. Do I? I think so. I hmm. I think uh, just because you both said reading the I'll, I'll go the other way. Oh, um just to be different. My my favorite author is he's very old right now and he's approaching uh, the end, I'll say. He's a very he's a he's a private person, okay. so we don't know much about his personal life. Um and there's a lot of speculation will he get oh. another book out before he he passes? And he just recently, his name's Thomas Pynchon, by the way. Okay, I was about to he, ask who the author He was. just um, donated all of his manuscripts and everything to a library in California. Oh, my gosh. So people are, like, thinking, like, is this it? Is he going to ever publish again? And um, so I would very much like to get his last one, especially for uh, many reasons. Um, one reason being he alternates his books between like a big tome, like a massive book of like that's a historical fiction, and then he'll alternate that between that and like a um, a mystery sort of oh, like okay. a noirish book, and then so this next one is going to be one of those big historical tomes, which are my favorite of his. So I'm I would love to get one more because his his books are like books you can comb over for years like i've reread That's all of his awesome. books and every time I, I read it i get something else out of it and um yeah so i that that would be my answer i like that answer though i like all of the answers yeah. i don't really think we're supposed to be judging each other's responses yeah, but there's no right or wrong i am that was lovely all right who's, who wants to go next go ahead Meg. okay i have two two would you rathers yes okay. i do I'm just maybe we'll just go with the second one. Would you rather get a paper cut every time you turn a page, or bite your tongue every time you eat? Because both are like just mildly annoying enough that like you have to feel some type of way about one of them. Like, eat, well, eating is one of my favorite things in the world. I love food, so that would be tough. <laughs> but and now we have audiobooks in Libby. <laughs> That was so, a bad question for this particular. Well, podcast, that's why you have then. two. Okay, the, that's true. Should I just switch? So I'm I'm gonna go with um uh the paper cut because I can I can I can get by with audiobooks if I have that's, to that's even true. though I love to have a book like a physical book in my hand. But you can live just for the sake of being able to eat. You can just listen. Well, Carrie, what's your answer? Yeah, I really don't like bleeding. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so I'm gonna say like I'd rather just I'd rather bite my tongue because like yes, it's mild annoyance. Um. But what if what if your mouth starts bleeding? Okay, well, like that that's a significant bite. Like if I'm biting my tongue to the point of bleeding every time I eat, like we've got to have a talk about some stuff. Like, <laughs> like really. Um, but I just mostly because I get paper cuts at work all the time. Like not just from page turning books. Like just picking picking stuff up, picking up paper, putting new paper in the Fighting printer. The printer. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I hate paper cuts. And I've had times where like I've got like multiple fingers with band aids on them. And that, it's just, I don't like it. So I think I'd rather bite my tongue. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to go with the other one? That was a quick turnaround. Yeah, that was a answer. quick turnaround. So my other one was, would you rather be chronically underdressed or chronically overdressed? Like you're never quite prepared for the situation you're walking into. And it's always obvious. I guess I think most people's answer would be they'd rather be overdressed because you can, you know, you can. it's always easier to lose a layer than to put one on. Mm-hmm. However, I hate being warm. 
Mm-hmm. I would rather be cold always. Okay. I don't know why. I can handle the cold better. And I feel like I generally run at a hotter temperature than most people. So I can tolerate the cold better. Like up an adult, we've had like our temperature has been fluctuating crazy, like crazy the last couple of weeks. And people have had like their space heaters on, like cranking. And I'm like, this is perfect. What's wrong? Like I loved it when it was cold. Yeah. So See, I think I'm going to go underdressed because I'm generally underdressed as as it is anyways. I think I interpreted the question very differently. Like in terms of formality? Yeah. Oh. Which is cool because it's – no, but it's really because up for how there's no right or wrong answer to this question because – and I totally get what you're saying because if that's how the question – if that's how we're doing it, I'd rather be overdressed because you can peel a layer. But like right. underdressed, like there's only so much you can do if you don't have the clothing with you. I was thinking more in terms of like I show up someplace and I am clearly like overdressed for this situation versus like – I walk into a situation where I should be looking nice and I look like a schlub. Um, so in that case, I would also rather be overdressed, um, but not like like formal gowning. I would work. Right, I'd rather be too formal mm. than not be appropriately dressed for where I am. Because I don't know, like there are people who are suit people and will wear suits everywhere. I feel like there's always going to be that one kid who really likes to wear a bow tie to school. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Really? I used, I wore a bow tie here to the I library my like yeah. first year at working. Yeah. Alex in person. Alex is a bow tie stand. Um, I I feel like I interpreted this question incorrectly, and I but totally no changed right my or wrong. answer. <laughs> no, absolutely not a right or wrong answer. I'm actually glad that you went that way because I think I was thinking about you and your bow ties in terms of like overdress versus underdress, and I feel like you're always like you dress to the top end. Of, but of not the not in a way that you're overdressed. No, the but like the bow ties the, were fine. You're always a person who I feel like leans toward like the more formal dress. But sure. so I'm glad that you interpreted the question in a totally different way because I feel like otherwise for you the answer would have been like more obvious. I wish I interpreted it that the other way now because <laughs> my answer totally changes. I would much rather be overdressed. I love dressing up. Like, I, <laughs> like if we could go back in time or borrow from, like, a previous generation's, like, style, like, I wish oh. there was a lot wrong with the 1950s. I don't want to say we're going back to the 1950s, but I love that style. Like, Very everyone sticky. should be wearing suits everywhere. Like, everywhere. If you step out of your house, you should be in a suit. I love that. That is a hot take. Okay. That's I'm just – no, no, I mean, that is – You shouldn't. It's just You really said that. It was chest better. And I love like, that. I watched um, the show Fargo – the season four was set in like the 60s or the 50s or something. And like, there, it's like a gangster show. Like, everyone's like the scum of the earth, but everyone's dressed in like three piece suits wherever they go. And I'm like, I mean, this was a better time. Al Capone, <laughs> Al Capone was objectively one of the best dressed, awful people in human history. So, I mean, uh, he it's great too bad that, that like society is just like inverted. Like, style has gone plummeted right. and everything else mm-hmm. sort We're of has gotten 2000s better. Again. Great so people who look like time. garbage. <laughs> Yes, we're currently reliving the fashion of my high school times, and it's it's really hard to shop right now. And I'm like, oh, wow, we're back to doing this? I didn't like this the first time it was here. And now I understand what my mom was saying when bell-bottom jeans became popular when I was a teenager, and she was like, but why? <laughs> um, okay, so is it my turn for a question? Uh, this one might get real deep. Would you okay. rather die in 20 years with no regrets or live to 100 with a lot of regrets? Oh, Okay, objectively more serious than, a, than a regrets going forward from this point because I think it's just I generally have many regrets <laughs> already. Have already. Regrets. <laughs> I think generally you can interpret it however you okay. want. It's not for me to decide, but I interpreted it as like 
just you're going to be 100 years old, but there's going to be a totality of regret in your life versus you've got 20 years left in your life. But when you, when your end comes, you will have gone out like without regretting anything, doing all the things you wish you had done, not kicking yourself like first, you know, but it's up to you. <laughs> Was it live a hundred more years or live a two? No, either you oh, would you rather say, die. Hundred thirty. No, would you rather die in twenty good. years with no regrets or live to a hundred with a lot of regrets? I don't like your question. <laughs> <laughs> this one's tough. Um, I'm sorry hmm. about that. <laughs> I feel uh, I have 20? a t- I have a two year old. I don't want to. I want to see my two year old grow up and have. Right, like 20 years I, isn't live, a lot of time. Yeah, life is regrets. I would choose living to 100. We're gonna, you're going to have regrets anyways. Okay. That's my choice. I mean, I agree with that. Like, you are going to have regrets anyway, and 100 years obviously gives you a significant amount of, like, extra time than 20. But I don't know. Like, 100 years is also a really long time to be just accruing regrets. Like, but it's also – it's not guaranteed <laughs> that you only have regrets, right? Like, it'll be – I mean, again, I think this is just up to interpretation and this isn't real and also it's a game. Every but... day is worse <laughs> off than the day before. Because like another it's like regret Groundhog Day. Right. It's like, okay, can I handle 60 more years of just regret, regret, regret? Or right. <laughs> if it's not that, I don't know. Is that I even do my math right? No, I didn't. You have, you have 70. <laughs> well, I like 70. Wow. Anyway, maybe I should take 20 because I can't even do math. Um I don't know. But like 20 awesome years? I'm thinking way too hard about this. I'm going to go with 100. Okay. I'm not really confident with it, but that is my final answer. Okay. What about you? I think I'd rather live to 100 probably because like you said, um, life is regret. Like there's always going to be stuff like the life isn't perfect. And there's nothing that says that there won't also be awesome things that you do in that time getting to 100 that aren't also great. Um, again, because it's our game and we can do whatever we want with it. Um, I don't know. It's like uh, sometimes getting into trouble or making mistakes is how we learn. Um, and there's something to be learned from that. And there's some fun sometimes in in the mistakes. So I'd rather, I don't know, hit 100 and be able to look back like, yeah, that was a bad idea. Um, but be able to look back and laugh on it. And if you make mistakes, you can pass on your wisdom. People can learn from your mistakes. Right. And you will legitimately be a wise old sage that people will look to you and like, ah, yes. Um, yeah. So I'm going to say, like, let's just regret tons of things and live to 100. Yeah. I like that. What a nice note to end the episode so on. beautiful. Well, it's it's right after New Year's. I'm not sure when you guys will be listening to this, but this is the month of uh, New Year's resolutions. I think we're almost to the week where everybody usually drops their resolutions. Like the majority of people who made them are ditching them. But so I'm like, whatever it is you choose to do. New year, new regrets. Longevity is what is important. (laughs) All right. Thank you again, both of you, for uh, for joining me. I hope it wasn't uh, too painful. And um, I hope you can both come back on a future episode. Maybe we can talk more audiobooks. Yeah. Oh, and there is. Thanks for the having us. Kicking us out. <laughs> Thanks, so, Alex. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.